Morning, everybody. Yeah. Uh, so I do talk to Luke frequently. There's a lot of you in here that I talk to and text with, and I'm grateful, very grateful for the encouragement and just being in this battle shoulder to shoulder with so many of you that are in here. So the um, I was looking at this. My mom has this old video, and it's actually it's a video of my parents were teaching me how to walk, and I was obviously I was like a, a year old. But two things that I take away from watching this old grainy video of me taking my first steps. First thing I take away is, at a year old, I had a receding hairline, which is, I mean, that is really unfortunate to think that you're like a, a candidate for the hair club for men at, at a year old. And um, it's like during the Johnson administration, it's a long time ago. But the other thing I took away from this video was that my dad didn't care too much about me falling down. He didn't care. And I think that's really cool. And what I mean by that is that I think in Christianity, we get so focused on our falling, not falling. We're so focused on sinning or not sinning. And really, I, I think this whole thing is about living. And I think the, 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 the picture of trying to teach somebody how to walk, Scripture talk, talks a lot about us walking. And I think we get so consumed with this condemnation. And I think the hope is this. Like when I see my, my dad, right, teach me how to walk, the hope is in our walking. It's not this disgust in us our, in our falling, right? And we get hindered, right? We get hindered by this condemnation that somehow we believe that what we do is who we are. And when we fall, what's he do? It just picks you right up, spins you around, and gets you on your way. And actually, I've told Luke this before. Luke reminds me of my dad. My dad was a boxer, big guy, right? Just imagine Luke. If Luke was nice, that's what my dad was like. <laughs> the, <laughs> so, the, uh, but again, it, it, too, again, this idea of like living above our circumstances. And that is, I know it's not easy. This world's very, very distracting. Um, but that's where lately I... It, it, going through scripture, we've been doing this a lot on Fridays at Bible study with the, with, with the, the men on Fridays, is we'll take something from the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and we'll blend it with something from the New Covenant. And we'll see how these things harmonize together and how well they work together. And today I really, I wanted to talk to everybody about two chapters. One's John 14, right? And Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 is my second favorite chapter in the entire Bible, only second to Romans 7. Romans 7 tells us about the battle, and Hebrews 4 is about, is about rest. But John 14 is pre-cross. So remember, and hopefully everybody here knows this, the new covenant started at the cross. So when we read the red letters, usually that's what you're going to find there. It's going to be pre-cross. It's going to be old covenant, right? This is Jesus was born of woman, born under law. We're not under law. We're under grace. When did that change? It changed at the cross. If you don't get that hinge point when reading scripture, the book will never make sense. You will always meatball law and grace, and you will be frustrated your entire life. There is a hinge point in scripture, and that hinge point is the cross. It is the most important date in history. So looking at John 14, Jim, if you could put up this. This is a verse we all know. Um, I, just, I think that this, that 
chapter, John 14, there's so much in there. And there's so much good news that at that time, just imagine when I read Proverbs, when I read anything, I read the Gospels, oftentimes what I am, I'm just grateful to be living this side of the day of Pentecost because we're fortunate. There's a verse, Matthew 11, 11, that says, those born among women, none are greater than, than John the Baptist, but he who's least in the kingdom is greater than John. That's talking about you. And why is that? It's because John the Baptist died before the cross came along. John the Baptist used to go to temple. You are the temple. We're very fortunate that way. I shared that with the guys at Bible study years ago. There was a gentleman there that heard that. He was so mad. He thought it sounded so prideful. Never came back. He was so offended by that. But when you look at this here, again, this idea, I just, I, Jim said, what are you going to call this message? It's just the harmony. It's the harmony of the gospel, how this thing works together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The first verse there, Jim, if you put that up. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide you the way. That is the key there, I want you to see. The way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. You've heard people say, well, God won't give you more than, than you can handle. Yes, he will. He will. And I'm sure for many of you, he has. This verse right here is shown. He's going to show you a way. He's the way. He took up presence inside you, not to be dazzled by your performance or your own self-discipline, but for you to tap into his strength through your weakness. That's the good news of Scripture, is this message of victory is not reserved for those who are born with, with self-will. It's for everybody. If the key is tapping into it through weakness, that's great news for all of us, right? On the way, the truth, and the life. The truth, there's two verses here, Jim, that... Jesus told him, I am the way, oh, this is going back. So when we talk about truth, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth, okay? Keep that in mind, because the verse right after this, the one I want to show you, I'm sure you all know this, you've heard it many times, is John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is truth. Truth dwells in you. Truth is a person. He's here. Right? He's guiding us. He's, he's, he's leading us into this abundant life. I've mentioned this many times. Jesus said, I came today to have life and have it abundantly. And I often ask Christian men, where is it? Where is this abundant life he talked about? I don't see it much. I find a lot of Christians spend their lives in the desert and they die in the desert. Most Israelites died in the desert. I don't want to die in the desert. I want to go in the promised land. And I want to be shoulder to shoulder with you fighting. And that's what this is about. There's no hierarchy in this thing. Is that we want to soldier on. We want to go through the Jordan and go into the promised land. He said there's an abundant life for us. It's so much more than we got a golden ticket out of hell into heaven. It's so much more. That is great. When we die, we're going. That's great. But there's an abundant life to be had right now. And it is not a walk in the park. It's not health and wealth. It's not what it is. There's a battle that rages on in all of our minds. In all of our minds. Right? But again, he took up presence inside us so that this victory would even be possible. The life. The, uh, going back to I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
So Jesus has the life, the verse there, I think, Jim, is, is Genesis uh, uh, 2.9. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Life. Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Kirsten's teased me about, I talk about this way too much. She goes, you sound like a arborist? Arborist, thank you. The, uh, the simplicity of the message of the two trees in the garden is, to me, is mind-blowing. Because of the simplicity and the complexity and how much it applies every single day in our lives, especially when we read the newspaper. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We get to live by his life. We come into this world, right? All we have is we're trying to develop our own. Tell me what's good and what's evil. We create on our own, whether we know it or not, we're creating our own system of what's good and evil. All the world has is a system of good and evil. They're going to tell you what's good and they're going to tell you what's evil. I was talking to my sister about this a few weeks ago, and one thing I I share with her is this, is that there's no consensus. Don't be fooled. There's no consensus in this world as to what's good and evil. There isn't. Everyone thinks we're on the same page. You're not, right? I think especially here in our country, we grew up in a country that has a Judeo-Christian background. This is very different in other countries. They have very different mindsets. They're coming from a very different origin. So is there everybody, every person in this world, they're creating their own version of good and evil. And when you become a Christian, when you become a new creation, you come in to Christ with these old beliefs of what's good and evil. But what does he want you to do? He wants you to live by him. He wants you to live by life. I find it very interesting that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's a binary thing. It's two things, good or evil. But in the tree of life, it's one thing. It's one. It's only one thing. And like when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the very first in the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are all just an outgrowth of love. You know, in 1 John it says God is love. Tree of life dwells within you. You can function from that source or not. But if what you want is an abundant life, let's go that way. And believe me, I do not have this perfected. That's why I want to be surrounded by other people that are going with me, help me fight this battle, and I promise I will help you fight this battle. I started up a Bible study now about 15 years ago. In the prayer I told God at that time, I did not feel ready. I did not feel prepared. I did not feel equipped at all. I said, God, I will do this. If, if you promise me this selfish request, give me friends. I want friends who know who they are in Christ. And many of them are sitting here right now. I am so grateful for that. Because this walk is not easy. You all know that. It's not easy. Right? And we need to be reminded right? So I love coming back here. I love seeing the faces. I love hearing Rusty, right? It's just we always need to be reminded because this world is very distracting. It's very distracting. Physical things are very distracting, but if what you, what I notice is that really everybody in this world, ultimately what they want 
They want invisible things. It sounds ridiculous. Everybody wants invisible things. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you can see evidence of love. You can see evidence of kindness. But it's invisible. And you see that it comes through the souls of others around you. And I remember someone had said this years ago, they've got Einstein's brain somewhere in a jar, right? You could pull that thing apart and study it. You'll never know why he laughed at what he laughed at. You'll never understand his soul. It's invisible. Why do you laugh at what you laugh at? Why do you cry at certain things? Why are you afraid of mice, right? These things are invisible. The souls of men, the souls of women, these things are invisible. That's what I love. Right? So many of you here around here, sitting around here, right? It's your soul is what I love. Right? If we check out or someday we just have skeletons walking around, I still enjoy you because it's not the physical, it's the invisible. So this is John 14.10. This is the, 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 the verse to me that is, um, <laughs> what I love about this verse is when I read this again, it's pre-cross, it's a pre-cross verse. I think Jesus is describing a life that will at some point be available. It wasn't for them at that time. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Everything Jesus said, the miracles he did, was the Father through the Spirit through Jesus. Absolutely part of the Trinity. Jesus is God. He came down here. He took on physical form. He demonstrated what this life would look like. He relied on God for everything. And when you think about that, that life is available to us. Romans eight eleven says you have the exact same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. You didn't get an 80s version or a 70s version. or You have the exact same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. And we can rely on him for the words, for the deeds, for the energy to carry that out. And you know what? And to, to, God, to God be the glory for all of that, anything that might be accomplished through our lives. But I have to say, relying on God for the words, I found is probably the hardest thing. Because we react, right? Whether it's with Kirsten or with the kids, it's very easy to react, right? I've got a very sharp tongue. Right? And it can react. I think of the damage I've done in my life to other people, probably more often than not, has been from my words. And think of when the Pharisees brought that adulterous woman in front of Jesus. Just think of what was going on in his mind. What he really, what the power of sin was telling him to say to all these self-righteous Pharisees. And Jesus had the power to call down lightning bolts from heaven to take out all these self-righteous Pharisees. And he paused. He didn't react. He responded. Remember, he sat down, right? They say he was drawing in the sand. The same finger that drew the Ten Commandments on the tablets, that exact same finger is doodling in the sand that they're bringing to him to say this woman has been caught in adultery. He stands up and he says, He who is without sin, let them cast the first stone. He didn't react. He responded. And as he says here, the words, those words, everybody knows those words. The world may not know that that quote is from Jesus, 
But it was Jesus who said that. But Jesus would say, of the Father, right? And that's what's available to us. And I would I tell my friends this. Help me with my words. I feel like that's where I really struggle. It's very easy to be quick with something that's biting or a reaction or to try to shoot somebody down. It's, I just don't think it's of God. Hebrews 4. So it remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The, uh, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. This rest that's available to us, that Jesus talked about in John 14.10, your words, your deeds, this is available to us. We are so fortunate to be alive this side of the day of Pentecost. We are so fortunate. And rest, I think that word, DC and I were talking about this yesterday, that that word can be misleading. It may sound like passivity. It may sound like you're not doing anything. It's not. As we tune into rest, what I found is some of the most dynamic things happen. If we can encourage each other to rest, I think the spirit can just be unleashed in people's lives. And what will be unleashed? Love, joy, peace, patience. And who gets glory for that? God does. Flowing through us. It's all he wants to do. He wants to function through these unique souls that each of us have to this world. Right? There's a ministry that we've all, all been called to. It might be big. It might be small. It doesn't matter the, the size of it. We've been called to a different ministry. I was talking to Dave O about this. There's someone I want him to talk to. Right? There's a person. Right? There's people that you all can reach that not everybody can reach. Right? The great evangelists, they're not going to get into all the nooks and crannies. Jesus said you'll do greater things because he's multiplied amongst all of us. We can go out into the nooks and crannies of the world and share him with the world. So that rest is living above our circumstances, right? You know, in church, right, in our lives, we've heard a lot about sin, right? And I think we've always thought of the word sin as a verb. Right? And we learn, and it's why I love Romans chapter 7. It's my favorite, favorite chapter. Is we learn there that sin is a noun. Right? And when you think of the word saint, we usually think of the word saint as a noun. Well, I want to do now the opposite. I want to think of the word saint as a verb. You're sainting. Right? It's just being who you are. That's who you are. You don't have to do anything. He'll give you the words. There's a calling on your life. He'll call you out to that. And he'll give you the energy to carry it out. But if there's something that you're holding on to, he will let you hold on to something dark until the day that you die. But I promise you, that's probably the most horrible, probably the least fulfilling component of your life. And he will ask if you're ready to let it go. He's not going to demand it. He will ask if you're ready to let it go. And I've heard people say, well, let it go sooner rather than later because it'll hurt less when God's prying your fingers off. He won't pry your fingers off of it. He will let you go to the grave clinging to your pride, whatever. I run through the list of seven deadly sins, right? Whatever you want to cling to, he'll let you. 
But he'll ask, are you done with it? No. All right. He'll come back again. You done with that? (laughs) At some point, right, we let this thing go. And that's where I just want to encourage people to know him and know his character. Know who dwells in you and how he wants to flow through you. So, this verse up here, this is, I've mentioned this before. There are verses I anchor to people. They didn't ask for it. It just happens. I don't try to, I don't try to do like verse memorization by anchoring people's faces or, or names to this. But this verse right here is one I happen to have anchored to Rob Duffy. Rob doesn't know that. He's hearing this for the first time. The, uh, but it says, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The reason this verse, I think, has been anchored to Duffy for me is when I look at someone whose resume is so impressive, who was born with this incredible self-determination and will, that here's a man, what I have found, that I know has found out the way to tap into God's strength, God's power, is through weakness. The Apostle Paul had the same issue. It's like, what are the rules? 613? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. He, had this, he was born with this self-will. But as Paul found out, right, and what I, like I said, I've this anchored to, a, to, to, to Rob. How do we tap into his strength? It's through weakness. That's just such great news. It's such great news. This isn't a challenge Sunday. I'm not challenging you all to be better Christians. I'm not. Right? I've told Sev this before. I'm not a behaviorist. Right? There's a young man, he's dating my daughter. I've run the risk of telling him, I'm not a behaviorist. I'm not. I want him to live. I want my kids to live. I don't want him to behave. I want him to live. And if you want to live, we can tap into God's strength who dwells within us through weakness. That is such great news. It's just such great news. So what hinders us? What holds us back? When I talk to people, when I talk to men especially, what I find, condemnation holds us back. And this is a verse, if you're going to memorize a verse, I think this is a great one to memorize, right? If you own your forgiveness, this is a great one to memorize. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've been up the last two nights in a row at 242. I don't know why, but it seems at about 3 in the morning, 233 in the morning, right? The power of sin gets loud in my head and I wake up. And it's not telling me, Matt, you're doing great. (laughs) It's not. That's not what's banging around in my head at three in the morning. It's usually condemnation or anxiety, right? Oh, you screwed this up. Oh, you did that wrong. Oh, what about next month? Oh, there's this tug of war. And the power sin, it doesn't care. It's just trying to drag me to the future or the past. If he just can get me out of the moment. This is a verse I think about all the time at three in the morning. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's so helpful. It helps me sleep. So that's a fact. That is an absolute fact. When you hear that condemnation in your head, that's not of God. It's of the noun sin. It's of the power of sin that dwells in us. Right? Jesus had to deal with this too. Jesus was God. And I know that this message might sound like I'm, I'm taking something. I'm not taking anything away from the fact that he's deity and he's trinity. 
But in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that his sweat became like drops of blood. He had to deal with thoughts in his head. There was nobody else around him. He had to deal with the thoughts that were in his head. So some of those thoughts in his head, it's like, you're going to die tomorrow. For these people? You're going to die for these people. Come on. These people, you're innocent. You're going to die for these people? And not only are you going to die for them, after they accept you, they're still going to trample on it. You're going to die for these people. And this is all banging around in his head, banging around in his head, and his sweat became like drops of blood. And for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. For you. He is there for us. He is forgiving. He is loving. And that, if there's anything to take away from this message today, is, is that he loves you and he likes you. You can treat him like a, uh, a spouse that would never leave you. What are you going to do about that? You're going to trample on that? You can. That's the freedom we've been given. You have been given freedom. There's a great risk that he took in entering this relationship with us. There's a risk there. But his love for us is so much more than we probably saw from our mothers. Right? I think a mother's love for a child is probably as good as the world can see. And it's beautiful. But his love for us is even more than that. So, going down these last couple verses here. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things that we are yet without sin. Right? Whether it's temptation from the outside, temptation inside our, our, our mind, Jesus has been there, right? I think of Gethsemane a lot, right? So don't beat yourself up if you've been losing, right? This thing's not about not losing. Christianity is not about not losing. It's not about not sinning. It's about living, right? Remember that father picking up a little kid, spinning around. There you go. Not about him being disturbed because you fell down. He wants you to walk. Right? Scriptures talk about walking. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. His door is open all the time. All the time. And when do and I was, was thinking about this. To help in the time of need, when do I need them? I need them all the time, right? So it's a good thing his door is open because I can go in there, I can talk to him about something I'm struggling with, something I'm worried about, something I'm, I'm, you know, feel, you know, condemned about. I can go in there, I can talk to him about that. You know, when things are going well, I can go in there and talk to him about, hey, I, I think this might be an issue. I don't want to be disturbed by a good season, Right? And two, this week, as I was just thinking about this idea of, of uh, helping the time of need, how about, how about just going in there? This is what I picture, and this, just, this may sound totally ridiculous, and maybe, maybe not since you were a kid, maybe not since college. Have you ever just gone into someone's room and just laid down? I just want to go into a, to the, the throne, no, the throne room. I just want to lay down. We don't have to talk. I just want to hang out. I just want to be around them. I know a lot of you didn't have great fathers, right? I know Mindy, I pick on her a lot because her dad's a rock star. <laughs> Gary's great. 
the, uh, but a lot of us didn't, right? A lot of us didn't. And I think a lot, for a lot of us, our earthly father can shape our view of a heavenly father. Some of us had a relationship, some of us didn't, right? Some of us didn't know our fathers, right? And maybe they're around, I mean, it, but I think that's where, again, is that you can go in there and you can talk to them or not, or just sit down. It's a place, he's there for you. If you want to talk to him, you can, or if you just want to lay on the couch and just sit with them, you can do that too. But I think that if I think of this as just some sterile room with a high chair where I can't even, I can't even reach him, it just seems out of touch with me. And it doesn't, it's not the God that I know. And the whole purpose of ever putting our nose in the Bible is to get to know the heart of the Creator. It's why we do this. Right? It isn't so we can memorize Scripture. That's not, that's not the game we're playing here. I think, you know, looking at Scripture, all that, it's very beneficial, you know. But the whole idea is get to know his heart. I'm going to close with this last verse, and I, I promise we'll let everybody go. You all remember the story of the prodigal son? Everybody remembers the story of the prodigal son. And he went to his father, and, and basically what he told him is he said, I want my inheritance now, right? Pretty much you're dead to me. I'll take what's mine now. And then he goes off. We know what he does. He just, you know, burns it all. He's got, at some point, he realizes, yeah, I screwed this up. Puts his tail between his legs, and he's heading back home. So he got up and came to his father. But, but, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's your father. That's your father. That's his character. That's who dwells in you. So when you feel this condemnation or you're hearing this in your head, just this is a fact. This is a fact. He's running at you. So we're going to fight together side by side. We're in this thing. I don't want to die in the desert. I want to go in the promised land. I want to fight. I want to settle. I want to rest. Right? And when we screw it up, keep this in mind. Right? When we think, oh man, I messed that up. Just remember, he's on the road running at you. He's running at you. Because he wants you to walk. He wants you to walk. His hope is that you walk. His hope is that you walk by faith. And when we mess up, his hope has not changed. His hope is that you will walk. It is a never-ending, never-ending, unconditional love that he has for you. He loves you. He likes you. He dwells within you. The gospel means good news. It is good news. But it's not a physical one. It's a spiritual one. And if we all want to encourage each other to live an abundant life, to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, it's going to be that. And we know we're going to mess it up at times, right? But a friend of mine, Bob Warren, used to say, you're free to fail, right? And it's good to have friends along with you that understand that, that will encourage you to get up and soldier on. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for my friends. 
Thank you for this life. Thank you for um, what you've made available to us. Thank you for taking up residence within us. Thank you for guiding us. Lord, I just pray that we all come to a further understanding of what it means to trust you for the deeds and also to trust you for the words and to not react, but to respond as you did. And you showed us the way and you are the way and you dwell within us. And we are thankful, thankful, thankful. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.